Hello and welcome to episode 40 of the Duke Basketball Report podcast. It is Sunday evening, January 3rd, 2016. Guys, we're in the new year. Happy New Year from the three of us. I am your host this week, Sam Klein. I am joined by my usual cohort, uh, live in Atlanta, Georgia. I have Jason Evans. Happy New Year. Um, and in Washington, D.C., Donald Wine. Merry New Year. Uh, I- <laughs> I don't have anything to add. You guys covered the the New Year's greetings pretty pretty sufficiently. Nice, hey Donald, um, nice nice uh, trading places there. I, I figured you'd get that one. Um, that was good. Uh, so this week, I don't think we have any more Star Wars to talk about, unless anyone has seen it again and needs to recap. Um, I I actually did see it again. I saw it in IMAX seventy millimeter, which is the uh, which is the camera that they use to actually film the uh, film the movie. Uh, there are only 18 theaters in the nation showing it in 70 millimeter. So if there is one near you, I highly recommend you drop everything and you go see it in that format because it's awesome. Okay. Um, we'll do that. Thank you for the Star Wars update. Um, uh, what did you, I guess before we get into, um, football and basketball and all the things that we should be talking about, uh, did you guys have, did you guys have a good holidays? It's been a couple weeks since we talked, um, Donald, you saw the movie, Any, any other good stuff to update us on? Uh, I was in Texas with my parents and and, and cousins and, and and family, so I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I got to to spend five days uh, there for Christmas, uh, and then uh, New Year's. I really didn't do much. I just went to a house party and rang in the new year with some close friends. Awesome, uh, Jason. Uh, fairly quiet for me. Uh, I have a New Year's tradition. I go up to the Georgia mountains with um their three other couples, and they all have kids the same age as my kids, and. All of us get together, and it's. Um, I think we said we were in our 16th year of doing it this year. Um, great, great fun, and uh, I, you know, I recommend to all of you out there find some people that like aren't your best friends because your best friends you see all the time, um, but are good friends that you want to make sure that you see at least once a year, and have a tradition of hanging out with them every New Year. Um, it's uh, it's it's really one of the highlights of my year, and 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 we always go, God, why don't we see each other more often? We love hanging out together. Our kids have so much fun, um, and then we end up seeing each other like maybe once the rest of the year. <laughs> but we love our New Year's together. Um, so so that's a special thing that I do every year. Awesome. Um, I just made a bunch of those friends in the past week. I was on a uh, uh, what they call a birthright Israel trip, um, which is a like trip for young Jewish people to go to Israel and like experience the country. Um, and there's, there's a lot of like, uh, there's all sorts of things that go on, but the big thing about the trip is that you go with like 40 people who are your age. So I was there with a bunch of other, you know, mid twenties people. Um, so I made a whole bunch of new friends, most of whom don't live in Colorado. Um, so therefore I will only see them very rarely if, if never again. Um, so, uh, so that was really exciting. I had a good time doing that. Uh, and that, I guess our travels and things are part of the reason why we didn't have a podcast between then and now, um, but also just because I think that the things kind of slowed down, but we did have the bowl game. We did have three basketball games. Um, so what do you guys think? Should we start with football this week? I think, I think we, I think we should start with football. Does that sound good? That's all of me. Yeah. All right. For me. Um, so I, I will, I will also add that um, because I was out of the country for most of the time uh, from the last episode to this one, um, I didn't actually get to watch any of the Duke games. So this week's episode is going to be me prompting Jason and Donald to tell us what happened uh, and to recap them for us. And I will, uh, be nodding in agreement, which they can't see because we record via audio only. So starting with football, Duke won an exciting pinstripe bowl game, 44 to 41 in overtime. Indiana missed, controversially missed a field goal um, so that the Blue Devils could seal their first bowl win 
since like 1961, the, uh, the, that Cotton Bowl game against Arkansas. So it's been a long time coming for the Duke Blue Devils. This is obviously the fourth year in a row that Coach Cutcliffe has gone to a bowl game, um, but the first one that he's finally gotten to win over an Indiana team. I think that we when we previewed them a couple of weeks ago and, and for most of the previews that you could find like around the internet, um, most of the previews said this was going to be an exciting and good game, and it turned out to be. It was, it was close the whole way through. It was high scoring, uh, and Duke finally prevailed in overtime. I'll start with Donald. Uh, what were your impressions from the game, uh, and and what do you think about Duke football now? Now a, a bowl champion in 2015. Uh, I love the fact that we're a bowl champion. I will start off by giving a little anecdote about actually watching the game. Um, as I mentioned before, I was in uh, Texas. My parents live outside of Fort Worth, um, and if you guys, uh, I, I, you may not know this, Sam, but uh, Jason may recall that there were. Uh, a lot of severe weather that day, and we had uh, several tornadoes uh, touch down in the, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, uh, mostly in Dallas. So I'm watching the game with my dad, and the game is being split-screened in the, in the third quarter um, and fourth quarter because of the uh, storm. So they're basically breaking in um, at timeouts. Uh, instead of showing commercials, they went to their live weather coverage uh, on the local ABC affiliate. Um, so I actually was watching the game and kind of split screen for most of the, most of the time tornadoes actually touched down in Dallas right before the last play and they confirmed it. So they actually, I actually did not get to see the field goal, uh, uh, or the missed field goal happen. Um, I was waiting for it to go back to split screen and they all of a sudden said, Oh, Hey guys, by the way, the game is over. Duke has won. So now you can stop texting us about, uh, about turning back and forth to the football game. And so that was the point that I knew that we won. Um, it was kind of funny watching the entire game except for the last, last play of the game. But I think it's great. I think um, we finally got that bowl victory that, that this team has been coveting for the last four years. Uh, you know, for the, for the senior class, which is the most decorated in, uh, in Duke history, um, for them to walk out as champions, I, I know it was great for them. It's a great moment for our program. I think we're in new heights and you know what like next looking at next year's schedule we still have a chance to do some great things next year as well um you know i think the uh some of the changes with the uh with the uh, with the coaching staff i know scotty montgomery is going to be gone um he coached his last game he will be moving on to ecu um to take over the head coaching job there um but and we'll have a lot of turnover uh, especially with uh, the senior class graduating so uh, i think is great i i the, I was so happy that we finally got a win um, in a bowl game. It was an entertaining bowl game. I know we got sick and tired of losing those entertaining games, and so it was finally good to be on the winning side of one. So um, hats off to everyone associated with Duke football, um, not just this team, but everybody in the past who has worked uh, as part of the program to get them to this point because you all were a part of that. The last few years, I know that um, all the games have been excited. All the bowl games for us have been exciting. <laughs> And close, and then ultimately exceedingly heartbreaking. So uh, I was I was following along on Twitter at the end of the fourth quarter, and then into the overtime, um, and I was like, Ugh, like what horrible thing is going to happen to us this year to continue this 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 streak of of us losing in crushing ways at the end of games, and and somehow we managed to win. Um, so I'll throw it to Jason. What were your impressions? Well, so you're talking about the crushing loss. Uh, <laughs> I will freely admit. So uh, I'm, I'm, you know, you didn't see the game, but at the end of regulation, um, Indiana is about to line up for like a 58-yard or 60-yard field goal. It's something like it's a field goal that you think they have no chance to make, and they call timeout, and there's sort of like there's a discussion about a few different things, and this is the field goal that would win the game, and um, and there's not enough time enough time left for 
for Indiana to get off any other play. Um, uh, but Indiana comes on the field and you think, oh, they're going to go ahead and, and throw a, a deep bomb instead of trying to attempt this impossible field goal. And instead they run like a two-second play, a sideline pass that gets them like another five yards um, and makes the field goal – uh, you know, a potential reality, and they then come on and attempt the field goal. They miss the field goal. But when they ran that play, it was a great play, and it literally took like maybe two seconds off the clock. I was sure we were going to lose. I was like, this is it. Our heart is going to get ripped out of our chest again. I'm sure they're going to hit this field goal, and we are going to lose. Um, and I was thrilled, <laughs> thrilled that that didn't happen, and then that we got to the overtime. And then we get to the overtime, and Indiana's about to attempt the field goal to tie the game, and Thomas Cirk has been knocked down and and – you know, knocked out of the game. Um, you know, we've since learned that I think he tore his MCL. Uh, I think that was the diagnosis. Um, you know, not an injury that's going to affect next year, but but clearly he would not have been able to come back to the game. And I'm thinking to myself, great, well, Indiana's going to kick the field goal, tie the game here, and we're going to be playing with our backup quarterback. Not that I don't like Parker Bame, but, I mean, Thomas Sirk's the guy who brought us there to some extent and and has been, you know, the 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 rock for this team. And I'm I like, great, this is going to be another way we're going to lose in heartbreaking fashion um, because we're going to have our great quarterback knocked out of the game. And lo and behold, instead what happens is Indiana's kicker kicks the ball over the upright. And I mean, there are angles you can look at and there's all this other kind of stuff. There, there's a very deceptive camera angle that makes it look like the kick is good, but it's not. It's a it's a, a trick of physics and a trick of perspective that makes it look good. Um, the reality is there's a reason that um, th that angle of a kick is not something that is reviewable on replay because the person with the best angle is the official standing right underneath that goalpost who looks straight up and can tell whether or not the ball went over the goalpost or inside the goalpost. It's as simple as that. It's a really easy call to make. From an officiating standpoint, it doesn't get any easier than that. Nothing's in your way. There's not, you know, they're not, they're not bodies flying all over the place. You don't have to watch six different things at the same time. You don't have to be looking in four different directions. You just look straight up and it either goes over you or it doesn't. And it didn't. And so Duke won the game and God, it just, I, I was jumping up and down. My kids were with me, you know, I, it, the field goal looks like it's going to be good. <laughs> it looked like it was going to be good. And then it like hooked up oh, and it was, wasn't good. And we just went crazy. And it was a, uh, you know, a great moment for, for Duke football. Um, hey, there are a couple of things I want to point out. There were sort of some interesting statistical um, uh, notes from this game that I, that I just thought were really interesting looking at the box score and also watching the game. Duke had three different players rush for 100 yards. That's ridiculous. Thomas Cirk rushed for 155. Jella Duncan rushed for 109. And Sean Wilson rushed for 103. Um, of course, that includes an 85-yard uh, scamper that he had where he's uh, just way faster than everyone else on the field. That's, that's, um, pinstripe bowl, that's Pinstripe Bowl MVP, Sean Wilson, yes? That is Pinstripe Bowl MVP, Sean Wilson, who also had the uh, amazing kickoff return that, um, it, you know, and it felt like, Felt like Duke was being a little bit deflated. I, I as a fan, felt like, oh, man, uh, you know, we're about to let this one slip away when Sean Wilson had that kickoff return in the fourth quarter to um, uh, to, to, to bring us back and, and uh, bring us back from, I think, not want to say the dead, but back from a bad, bad spot um, because Indiana was uh, moving the ball at will against us. Um, so, uh, you know, great game from a statistical standpoint. A lot of these guys are going to be back next year. Um, yes, we're going to miss our seniors. They finally get – a bowl win. Um, I know that next season's schedule is considerably more challenging than this season, but you know what? Bring it on. I think that's a good thing. I want Duke to be stepping up um, in quality of opponents, and I want us to be playing, you know, slightly better teams. And and you know, 
I, I, I fully have confidence that David Cutcliffe has put together a program that is going to be able to thrive and survive against even tougher schedules. Um, and the last thing I wanted to mention was uh, there, there are a good number of people I know who really follow um, football recruiting who said that this win was very important for Duke in maintaining and keeping together um, the recruiting class that, that will be made official in just a few weeks on National Signing Day. Duke has a recruiting class that is unlike anything Duke has ever done in football before. We are uh, pretty much everyone ranks it among the 25 best recruiting classes in the country. Guys, there are years where Duke's recruiting class wasn't among the 25 best in the ACC, and there were only, you know, 12 teams in the ACC back then. <laughs> um, it, it, this is a amazing recruiting class that that Cut has put together, and getting a bowl win, um, you know, on national television uh, in a game like this is a great way of making sure none of those guys have a last-minute change of heart, um, you know, and pick someone someplace else. Um, so just a, a a great great win for Duke, and um, uh, the future continues to be very very bright. I mean, unbelievably bright for the Duke Duke football Blue Devils. Um, so yeah, a fabulous fabulous season, and it was fun talking about it with you guys. Yeah, I it's it's great that we finally had a season end where they went, oh, hey, Cameron. Um, <laughs> it feels good to finally, I was saying, it, was, it feels good to finally have a season where we end on a, on a high note um, between beating Wake Forest at the end of the season and then also having this bowl game um, cap it off, a season that a few weeks, you know, towards the end of the of the regular season, I think a lot of Duke fans were um, concerned that that the program was sliding back a little bit from the from the peak that they had reached a couple of years ago in the 10-win in the season. Um, but this team ended up winning eight games. They have a they have a nice win against you know a, a a fine Indiana team at the end of the season. I think that you know Indiana wasn't obviously at the top of the Big Ten or anything, but they're a they're a good team from another power conference. Um, and and the Indiana coach I saw had a lot of nice things to say about Coach Cutcliffe and the Duke program. So um, his uh, so his commentary was yeah I I loved it. his comment that he he said Duke is what we want to become. Duke is what we want to be. Uh, Wow, I mean, whoever thought anyone would say that about yeah. Duke football? Yeah, no, it, it's it's really great. Um, you know, obviously, I, I appreciate those comments a lot more than I appreciated Bo Ryan's comments at the end of last basketball season. So, um, good to hear good to hear those sorts of words being said about Coach Cutcliffe from you know an opponent, obviously an opponent, but but someone who isn't necessarily prompted um, to have to say nice things about the program. Obviously, you know, other coaches in the ACC want to prop up the rest of the ACC. But Indiana doesn't gain much from from complimenting Duke and, and saying what a great program Duke is. You know, they uh, so so that part felt good. Um, the ACC, as you mentioned, Jason, is going to get a lot harder in the in the next few years. Duke's schedule comes around to some of the tougher ACC teams, including Notre Dame this year, and it seems like most of the Coastal Division has upgraded their coaching situation pretty significantly with guys like Mark Richt and Bronco Mendenhall. Um, and Justin Fuente coming into the ACC, into the Coastal. Um, the road to the ACC championship is going to keep getting harder uh, over the next few years. But I think that um, Coach Cutcliffe has finally figured out, you know, some of the some of the ways that, that he's going to be consistent at winning and is at least going to be able to, um, you know, not be in the cellar of this conference. I think that they're going to be competitive for the next few years. And as you point out, a lot of the key guys, especially on offense, are coming back. Uh, obviously, they they lose playmakers like Jeremy Cash, but, but a number of really good players are coming back next year. I think we'll we'll delve a little bit more into football for the 2016 season. Uh, you know, over the next few weeks and months, I think as the recruiting class gets solidified and and as spring practice starts. But obviously, the you know we we've heard the last few years that one of the most important things 
for building for each subsequent season is having those bowl practices, those extra couple of weeks of practices before um, the season ends so that they can start working on things for next year because they obviously don't need four whole weeks to prepare for one bowl game. Um, so, so this is important for the Duke program to keep moving forward and, um, and we'll see what we hear from them in the spring. Uh, it'll be interesting to see obviously how Thomas Sirk recovers from him, his injury and, and sort of what the identity of the team is looking like without, um, leaders like Jeremy Cash, uh, on this team anymore. Uh, anything else to add on football before we move over to basketball, uh, Donald? Uh, I just want to point out a couple of things. Uh, one, um, Thomas Cert had a wild game. It was very inconsistent and erratic. He had a couple of turnovers. But in the fourth quarter in overtime, he was a monster. And that is why he was also uh, named co-MVP of the game with Sean Wilson. Um, I, I think he had uh, – it was one of those games that was very frustrating. But when you were really at the point of, frust- of just being just too tired of seeing Cert on the field, he would bust out with some great run or a great play. Uh, to keep the drive alive or to score a touchdown. He had that long, uh, I think it was a 65-yard touchdown uh, run that he had. So I think he did really well, and I, I like that he had the guts to show up in the fourth quarter um, and, and really, really tough it out, um, which was a, probably a tough game for him. Also, we had a couple of trick plays that we haven't seen from our offense. Um, none of them really worked, and I thought it was, like funny. It, was, it, was it was good to see is what a bowl game is about. You kind of see these trick plays. But what struck out was after the game – um, Coach Cutcliffe basically said, you know, I'd like to thank my guys for winning this game in spite of some of these play calls that we had because they were kind of terrible. Um, and it was kind of funny because you, you kind of see these trick plays. You could tell that it was stuff that we had maybe thrown out once or twice in practice during the season, and we kind of said, hey, it's a bowl game. Let's do it. Um, but it, it, some of the Indiana plays that got them back in the game were these random trick plays that uh, or, or random, you know, you know, plays that got them back into it. So I thought it was kind of an interesting dynamic um, in, in that Coach Cutcliffe basically uh, admitted that some of the play calling was less than, less than spe- uh, splendid, but um, we got the win anyway. All right, thanks. Um, let's move on to basketball because that's, uh, that's at least the title of our podcast, notionally. Uh, Duke played three games since we last spoke, uh, obviously since the loss to Indiana. Duke has uh, added home wins against Elon and Long Beach State, um, both what appear to be fairly non-competitive games, and then uh, opened up the ACC season season at Boston College, an 81-64 to win just yesterday, Saturday. Um, I'll start with Jason, your impressions of the last three games, maybe focusing a little bit on Boston College because that's the only ACC opponent that we got. Um, what, uh, what did you see from Duke? Yeah, so the the BC game. I mean, look, it, it is great to get to start your season um, with a uh, a road game against a team that that is terrible, that just doesn't have much of a chance to beat you. And um, I, you know, I don't want to put down BC too much, but they're really not good. Um, I, I I don't know how to say it other than that. I didn't think Duke played all that well against BC. I mean, they, they didn't play bad, but I, I, they didn't play great. It's not like I look at anybody and I go, man, that guy was just unreal. He had his best game of the season. Um, and and we won this game by nearly 20 points uh, without playing all that well on the road in the ACC. You, you don't see that kind of thing very often. Usually um, to even win on the road in the ACC is a really, really difficult thing. And, and we managed to do it with ease. I, I, I really... Um, you know, I'll talk about Duke in a second, but I feel like Boston College, uh, that program's in, in real trouble. I, I don't know. I, you know, maybe they'll win a, a game or two 
in the conference. Um, but I, I think that we're going to see Boston College far, far, far at the bottom of the ACC this year. Um, so again, it's it's kind of nice that Duke got to start with them. Um, the, the the young guys, the freshmen, the guys who didn't play as much last year, which is pretty much everyone except Matt Jones, um, get to uh, get to start with uh, um, uh, an easier opponent. Um, and get their uh, ACC feet wet in a game where uh, it sounded to me like there were as many Duke fans um, in the stadium as there were Boston College fans. Uh, I, I was really impressed with Luke Kennard, and uh, this is becoming a theme for him. Uh, Luke Kennard, uh, who is a great, great three-point shooter, and we know that. We've heard it over and over again. You can tell from the way he strokes the ball um, that he's going to be a, a fabulous three-point shooter. You can tell from uh, the way he shoots free throws, and that sounds like a joke, but a guy who shoots free throws as well as he does is probably a great shooter, and Luke Kennard is. I love the way Luke Kennard, in a game where he missed some threes that he really should have made, he had some wide open threes that he missed, um, figured out other ways to score. And that's becoming a theme for him. Um, Luke Kennard is turning into one of the best uh, offensive players um, off the bench in the entire ACC, maybe in the entire country. He's putting up some great, great numbers, um, doing it very efficiently. He's becoming um, uh, you know, very adept at getting to the right space, the right place, uh, on the floor. Uh, he's a guy who seems to really understand the geometry and the physics of basketball. He knows, like I say, he knows where to be, but he knows where the ball is going to bounce. Uh, I think he gets an unusual number of rebounds for a guy his size who isn't playing, you know, inside all that much, although everyone on Duke has to rebound because we don't have that many big big fellows at this point. Um, but I thought Kennard had a, had a really, really nice game for Duke, and he, he was one of the major reasons we were able to stretch the lead out. Um, you know, it was sort of a, a uh, an okay, lead, uh, you know, it's good lead at halftime, and then we stretched it out even more early in the second half. Uh, and then the other guy you have to talk about is Brandon Ingram, who um, is just, uh, you know, I don't know where those arms come from, but he exists on a different plane <laughs> than everyone else in terms of the length of his arms and what he's able to do with them. Um, uh, he, he's doing a, a fabulous job of rebounding for Duke. Um, he's become incredibly, incredibly efficient. <clears throat> and has turned into the score we all expected him to be. They they flashed up a stat at one point toward the end of this game. <clears throat> In his last eight games, Brandon Ingram is averaging over 18 points a game and hitting better than 53% of his uh, field goals. Um, that's that's really really good. Uh, you know, it's it's great numbers from from a freshman, from a from a guy who's still figuring out the game, who who still um, doesn't really have the weight and muscle to be able to get easy baskets. I mean, uh, everything Brandon Ingram is having to do, he's having to do from skill, not from strength. Uh, and, and he's succeeding at it uh, tremendously. And then the last guy, Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen scored 17 points on only eight shots. Uh, we're becoming used to this from Grayson Allen. The guy, he's not a ball hog, which seems crazy um, because he really should be because he's an incredibly, incredibly efficient scorer. Um, Grayson Allen only attempted one three-pointer against Boston College. Uh, and yet uh, he still managed to score 17 points. He grabbed nine rebounds. He had five assists. I think a little later, I'm hoping a little later, we're going to talk about some of our preseason predictions. Um, as much as we all thought Grayson Allen was going to be a, a, you know, a key and a great player for Duke this year, he's exceeded every expectation. And now that we've closed the book on 2015 um, and we're looking forward to ACC play, uh, Grayson Allen has clearly established himself um, as perhaps the best player in the entire conference, uh, and and I I didn't see that coming. I thought he'd be very good. I I didn't see him being this efficient. Um, and once again against Boston College, he was 
he was pretty clearly, I thought, the best player on the floor. He could he could do what he wanted when he wanted to do it. Whenever Duke needed him to, he just took the ball to the basket, you know, and either got fouled or made the basket. End of story. So, uh, you know, that's that was the BC game again. I didn't think Duke played great. Um, we need to play better in our upcoming games, but a good start to the ACC season. Donald, what do you think about that that contest? Uh, I thought it was good. I mean, I think you touched on pretty much everything um, that I was going to say about Boston College. So uh, with the other two games, I wanted to point out a, a little nugget from the Elon game. Um, as you guys know, we scored 70 points in the first half. Um, but during the first half, uh, ESPN learned very quickly that a um, uh, what they put on their graphic should be correct, because if it isn't, people will freak out. They went to a timeout and they showed Emil Jefferson on the bench and and said uh, they had a graphic saying Emil Jefferson out for season uh, due to a foot injury. And so through that timeout, that's two and a half minutes, people were freaking out uh, because they saw that and they're like, we haven't heard any updates from, from Duke about him being out for the season. Uh, it turns out it was just a mistyped graphic. They came back and, and made um, a, a correction on the air um, and reshow the graphic that said out indefinitely, um, which is what uh, the, the line has been from Duke. Um, but for two and a half minutes, people were very, very worried about uh, Emil Jefferson's progress uh, with his foot injury. So I thought that was one one interesting note from the Elon game. I actually got to go to the Long Beach State game, so I was going to talk about that for uh, for a little bit. But uh, uh, so I went down there and uh, got some great seats. I was behind the Long Beach State bench uh, and basically in the front row of the upstairs. Uh, so it was really interesting. Wait, 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 hold on, Donald. Yeah. How did you score these seats? Because part of the story of going to Cameron is always how you got the seats. So, it, I mean, I have, a, I have a lot of people down there, but one, uh, my really good friend, Rosie, um, it was her hold birthday, on, actually. On, Donald, Donald, I need to cut you off. Um, do you want to elaborate on you have a lot of people down there? I have people. It, oh. Trade secrets. All right. I, I, I just wanted to I just <laughs> let that expression sink in. Continue. Yeah, I have, I have people. Um, but my good friend Rosie, who I actually go to a lot of games with, uh, she was able to grab an extra ticket for me. Uh, she works down on campus. Uh, and it was actually her birthday uh, that day. So it was, uh, it was very cool of her to... Uh, on her birthday to basically give me a Christmas present and, and getting me uh, into the game. Um, so I was at the game and the first TV timeout, we weren't doing very well. We weren't shooting well. We looked very lethargic and it seemed like it was kind of a letdown from the Elon game where we scored so many points uh, two days prior. So they're playing, the band is playing, there's music playing and they're doing stuff on the Jumbotron. So people are screaming and over all of that, you could hear coach K yelling at our team. He was, I mean, you could hear him word for word. Uh, a lot of it is stuff we cannot repeat on the Duke Basketball Report podcast. Um, but he was basically telling them that they weren't playing well and they needed to shape up. Um, and so they did that. I think the rest of the game was very, very um, well played. We had a couple of lapses on defense. Um, but it was really overall a great experience to see, especially the second half where we, we I, I think at the end of the first half, we were shooting 34%, and we ended up shooting 50% for the game. So in the second half, we just took off. Uh, Brandon Ingram and Grayson Allen were leading the charge, and Matt Jones had a great game uh, against Long Beach State, both on offense and defense. He was kind of our uh, – I, I, you, you can't really give him the MVP because Grayson Allen scored 33 points, but he was probably the MVP on, def on overall because of his – defense and the way he was able to get everybody under control after those first shaky few minutes. Uh, so I think that was really good. Um, it was always, it's obviously a great experience uh, to be in Cameron. 
It's actually my, uh, I have a streak going. I've seen, since I started at Duke back in 2000, I have been to, I've seen a game in Cameron every single year. I have seen every single team since that, uh, since I started at Duke, every single team I've seen play in Cameron. So thanks to Rosie, that streak continues. 2015 is marked off and hopefully I won't wait until December of 2016 uh, to go back. Um, that's a, it's awesome. You got to go to the game. That, that's great. Um, I, I wanted to, I'm looking at the, the, uh, Elon box score and I don't see a lot of numbers next to Marshall Plumley's name other than his large number of minutes, particularly relative to Chase Jeter. Um, obviously in Emil Jefferson's absence, we've been talking about what coach K is going to do to the lineup. And the answer as it is every year is that he's going to shrink the number of players who actually get to play. So if you were deemed at the beginning of the season to be a guy who's going to get minutes this year, then you're still going to get minutes. And if you weren't deemed that way, or if, or if you fell out of, say, out of the main rotation, out of the guys who were playing at least, you know, 10 to 12 minutes a game, like it appears Chase Jeter has, then even an injury is not going to change that. Um, so I, I'm going to pose the question to both of you, and, and I open it to either of you to answer. Um, how effective was Marshall Plumley in this game, knowing that his box score doesn't look great, but that obviously the contributions can come from things other than points, steals, rebounds, assists, et cetera? Um, what... How is Marshall Plumlee playing, and does it seem like Chase Jeter is still lost, um, even against lesser opponents like the ones that we had the last couple weeks? Well, the short answer is it, it seems like Chase Jeter's still lost. I, I wish that wasn't the answer, but uh, it is. Um, I am uh, fervently hoping that Chase Jeter will um, will get better and, and figure out where he needs to go on defense and, and where he needs to go on offense. Uh, I, I think where he needs to go um, you can't see me, but I'm doing little air quotes. Uh, where he needs to go is sort of the the biggest thing holding Chase Jeter back at this point. Um, that's that's why we refer to him as being lost. Um, uh, as for Marshall Plumley, uh, you know, I think that Marshall Marshall does what we need him to do, and he's never going to be he's never going to be the focal point of the offense. He's never we're never going to be dumping the ball into him a lot in the post. He sets a lot of screens. He fights hard, hard, hard for rebounds, and he tries to defend the rim as best he can. And he, you know, he picks up, you know, a, a decent number of block shots. Um, and he certainly goes after the rebounds and gets the rebounds. That, that's and and he's a big body to throw up against other big bodies, so we don't get dominated inside. That's what Marshall is. In some games, some games Marshall will do that kind of stuff, and it'll turn into a big statistical game for him. You know. Some games, like against Elon, he had 10 points and 11 rebounds and three block shots. You know, wow. You know, I mean, that's that's a great, you know, I'll take that from my big man any day of the week. Um, and then there are going to be some games where just the flow of the game and how it all works out just doesn't happen for him. But I, I haven't seen anything. Uh, to, be, to be honest, Marshall is still today what he was pretty much at the beginning of the season, which shouldn't surprise you from a fifth-year senior, um, you know, who's been around the program for a long time. Uh we, we, we know what we're going to get with him, and it's going to be a lot of effort, and it's going to be uh, using his size and his bulk and his strength the best he can. But he's not a, a tremendously skilled basketball player, um, and uh, and we shouldn't expect him to be more than, than what he is. Okay, I can accept it. Um, I think I think you're right. I, I think the thing that's just concerning is that, you know, even in a category like rebounds where we expect Marshall to get a lot of them, um, he's, he, he's tied for third in this one particular game. He only had five rebounds, and he tied with – with Luke Kennard, who came off the bench. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think it's a little bit frustrating sometimes um, rooting for him because because he does because his ceiling is does appear to be so evident. Um, but again, I, I didn't really get to see the games. Um, so I can't exactly comment, although it's something that I'm sure I'll, we'll be 
watching for as the weeks go on, and especially as Emil Jefferson continues to be out. That being said, I wanted to look ahead at the next couple games. Um, Duke has a couple more teams, one of whom in Wake Forest uh, has had a few interesting wins this year and and seems to be getting better. Um, Donald, did you want to talk about Wake Forest for us? Um, well, uh, I guess we'll start with them because they're actually the- actually wait, wait. I've, I've got my hand raised. Donald and I divided this. But, you know, while you were still recovering from returning from the Holy Land, Donald and I were uh, <laughs> were, were deciding who is going to preview who. And, okay. and I'm kind of going to preview Wake Forest. Uh, no. <laughs> OK, OK. Uh, I'm also I should have also added. I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the air if I just mentioned it to you guys on the um, on our like pre-show chat. Uh, that I'm also recovering from sickness just from being in the same like bus and hotel um, with, with the same 45 people for the last week. Uh, so my mind is like a little bit loopy right now. Um, so I apologize if I, if I sound kind of funny, um, that's, that's the, uh, uh, what we, what we called the sickness uh, on this trip. We call it birthritis. Um, is the, <laughs> that's awesome. Is the ailment that I'm currently suffering from. Um but uh, so I guess I'll throw it to Jason then. Jason, tell me about Wake Forest, who Duke is playing on Wednesday. Yeah, uh, so I think this could be a, a challenging game, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out why, because um, Ken Pomeroy has Wake Forest as the number 97 team in the country. Um, they're not particularly great on offense, and, um, and they're actually, you know, barely an average team on defense. So you wouldn't think... Um, that they'd be a tough opponent. But on the other hand, I've looked at some of their results, um, and, and isn't that what matters? That, you know, wins and losses. Um, they've got some really nice wins. They beat UCLA. They beat Indiana earlier this year. Um, they beat Arkansas. Uh, they beat LSU. They're, they basically, I think they're they're undefeated in the, um, oh no, they lost to Vanderbilt. Um, they've got a great record in the SEC, though. They're like three and one in the SEC or something like that. <laughs> um they, uh, they, they lost uh, just a few days ago to uh, a Xavier team that is probably be ranked in the top five next week. Um, uh, and it was a close game, a fairly competitive game. Uh, I, you know, when I look at their results, I, I see Wake as a fairly decent ball club. Um, so I think they're going to give us some trouble. Um, and the guy I'm really worried about is Devin Thomas, who who's their their big man. He's he's the guy that pounds the glass for them. He's the guy who gets points on the inside. He leads the team in scoring. He leads the team in rebound. He leads the team in block shots. Um, I think that he is uh, he he's a, a he's a fairly athletic player, um, and I think he's going to be a real test for um, probably for Marshall, uh, probably for Marshall Plumley. Um, but it's also possible that that we'll see um, Brandon Ingram trying to match up with him, and I think Devin Thomas will. Um, Oh boy, uh, he'll 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 destroy Brandon Ingram. He's just too strong um, inside for for Brandon Ingram. Um, uh, this Wake team is a balanced team. They've got a lot of different guys who can who can score for them. Um, Cody Miller McIntyre, who was absolutely their best player um, last year, was out with an injury most of this year and has only recently started coming back. And he hasn't really started putting up the big numbers yet, but. Um, Miller McIntyre is a really a heck of a player. He averaged 14 and a half points a game last year. Um, and, you know, he's sort of, I'm sure he's champing at the bit, waiting to get into ACC play and, and um, you know, uh, uh, play against um, the teams that he's familiar with. Um, uh, he's still struggling with his shot, it appears, um, as he as he comes back from his injury. He's only been back for the past four games since like the middle of December. So, you know, this is basically still preseason for him. But I'm terrified of how good, uh, Wake may be once he's back. Um, the, the, they've also got a freshman named Bryant Crawford, 
um, who is fabulous at taking the ball to the basket. Um, he shoots a, a, a lot of free throws as a result. Um, and, uh, I, and he really led them in the game against Indiana um, that they won, which was, you know, probably their biggest win. Uh, again, this is a this is a very deep team. Um, uh, this is a, a team that's very balanced and has a lot of different guys who can do different things for them. Um, they're not a great outside shooting team, but they're they're pretty good. They can they certainly got a few guys who can who can shoot the three so they can spread the floor a little bit and take it to the hole. And again, Devin Thomas, I think, is one of the better big men in the ACC. Um, and and I'm, I'm afraid because really Duke. Duke really only has six guys that are playing meaningful minutes for us at this point. Um, and a, a team like Wake, uh, they may try and turn up the heat a little bit, turn up the pressure a little bit, and make this game a little bit faster. Um, certainly, Wake will try and play physical with us because they they always do. Uh, and and I, if they're smart, they'll realize that foul trouble is something that could be potentially fatal for Duke as, as thin as we are at this point um, in, in terms of the number of guys we can count on to play well. So uh, it, it's going to be a tough game. Um, uh, you know, uh, in my opinion, I think Ken Pomeroy has Wake ranked too low at number 97. Um, I, I think that they're a uh, a potentially very very tough opponent for Duke, and this is going to be a very important matchup for us early in the ACC season. It would be great. It would be fabulous if we could get off to a, uh, a 2-0 start in the ACC with, with two road wins. Um, that would be huge uh, because road wins are going to be precious in the conference as they always are. And we know that— Don, you got anything to add about Wake? I, I, I was going to say before I throw it to Donald that, that I know that in the past, Winston-Salem has been a place uh, that is – the Wake fans are capable of making Lawrence Joel a tough place to play. Um, oh, so yeah. Whereas, whereas at Boston College, um, as you mentioned, the, the crowd had a lot of Duke fans. It doesn't surprise me to hear that because I feel like every time we play up there, the crowd is only sort of lackluster. Um, but in Winston-Salem, they can, they can show up for a game, and Wake is good enough, and Duke has been, I think, shaky enough that um, – that this game should be pretty competitive and, and I would say it's hard to, hard to predict um, which way it's going to go. Because as you point out, um, Wake's strength is a place where Duke has a weakness, which is going to be that they're, you know, that they've got a big man on, on the inside who can score really well. And Duke doesn't really have a defender who can hang with him with Emil Jefferson sitting on the bench with a broken foot. Um, Donald, did you have anything to add on Wake Forest? Yeah. I just wanted to point out that, you know, one of the keys that we're going to have uh, is to rebound the ball. Um, they rebound the ball pretty well, and they are also not a good three-point shooting team. So uh, they're going to have a lot of times, where, like like Jason said, they're going to try and have the ball inside with Devin Thomas. Um, so we're going to need to have uh, a really good game uh, on our interior defense, which is something that we haven't really done well over the past couple of weeks. Yes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't sure if you if you cut off or if you or or if you had a, a no. That was a very very small but but salient point. <laughs> no, he, he, he and he's absolutely right. Uh, rebounding is going to be huge in this game. Um, and Wake is not a, a great three point shooting. Team. They got a couple guys. I mean, Midaglu, um, can can shoot from outside, and Bryant Crawford can shoot from outside. Uh, Midaglu, by the way, is going to be a really interesting matchup for us because um, he's he's one of these big Europeans who who has good outside touch, and he's probably going to be matched up with Brandon Ingram. And um, it's sort of it, it's going to be really interesting to see like the um, the the skilled uh, European player. Um, uh, who can you know sort of go inside and out against Brandon Ingram, who is a um, uh, you know an unbelievably long, rangy, athletic um, American player? Um, it'll be interesting to see who wins that matchup. Uh, um, I'll say this: if if Ingram doesn't win that matchup, uh, we're going to have a really, really tough time winning the game. 
Yeah, Mittaglou is capable of, of going off and scoring a lot of points for them, and I know he's done that in games this year and in the past. So that's going to be another thing to, to look out for. I'll throw it to Donald now, who I believe has the Virginia Tech preview now that I went uh, – <laughs> now that I didn't know – since I didn't know that he had the Wake preview – or didn't have the Wake preview, I assume he has the Virginia Tech preview because we're playing them next weekend. I do have that one. Excellent. Why don't you go ahead and uh, give it to us? Virginia Tech is 9-5, and five, and they're 1-0 in the ACC, having just beaten NC State over the weekend. Uh, they have lost to some good teams. They lost to Iowa State, they lost to Northwestern, and they lost to West Virginia. But they also uh, lost their opener to Alcorn State, um, which by all accounts is not a good team at all. Uh, their non-conference schedule, other than uh, a couple of these uh, losses that they have, is just completely awful. Um, but uh, as I said before, they just beat NC State to open up the ACC season, and I think that they're on the on the verge of basically improving from uh, their non-conference schedule. But this is uh, typical Virginia Tech, right? They had this terrible non-conference schedule, and then you expect them to kind of do something in the ACC, and, and if they have any chances of making the NCAA tournament, they're going to have to do it uh, with their ACC record. Uh, they have four players that average double figures, leading, uh, led by Seth Allen and Zach Lede. Um, they are their two scorers at over 14 points a game. Um, Lede also averages closest to 10 uh, rebounds a game, so he's going to be a matchup problem for us as well, especially on the inside. Uh, he likes to get a lot of offensive rebounds, and so we're going to need to, uh, just like against Wake Forest, really knuckle down on that interior defense um, that, uh, that we are going to present to them. Um, it's going to be a battle inside, uh, especially with Chase Jeter. Chase Jeter, I think one of we were talking about him earlier. I think one of his issues is uh, is that he's not very big. He's only 195 pounds listed. Um, so he, I mean, he we hasn't had the cookout diet um, uh, for very long. So he's going to need to do that, um, especially against some of these teams in the ACC that have bigger lineups like Virginia Tech. Uh, they are not a, three, a, a good three-point shooting team, although they have a couple guys that can shoot the ball pretty well. Uh, Justin Bibbs, who averages 11 uh, points a game, shoots 57% um, from three points so far this season. Um, he's not taking many threes, but he is obviously making them. Um, they're also uh, a very decent uh, free-throw shooting team, so they're going to try and get to the line. Um, their tall guy, Kenny Blackshear Jr., who uh, is a 6'10 uh, forward center, um, is not very good from the line, um, but everyone else has pretty decent – uh, shooting from the line, and they and they also uh, like to get to the line as well. Uh, turnovers, they do average uh, 14 turnovers a game. Um, so I think that's going to be our test on the outside. We obviously have Ingram up top. We obviously have uh, Matt Jones, who can force a lot of turnovers. And, and, and Thornton's energy is going to be something that I think is going to be a key in this game. I think if he brings the right energy, I think that's going to fuel uh, a lot of this stuff, both on offense and defense. And with Luke Kennard and Grayson Allen um, outside being able to shoot and Brandon Ingram being able to drive the lane, uh, Thornton's ability to distribute the ball is going to be a good uh, test for him um, on next Saturday. So I think that's really all I have for Virginia Tech, um, unless you guys have anything more. You know, I, I don't understand. I, I can't tell you how Virginia Tech beat NC State. Um, it, it should be a real indictment of NC State that Virginia Tech won that game. Um, yesterday, uh, Virginia Tech is just not good. They're 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 just not good. They're they're yeah they're non conference. Every team they played in their non conference that is even moderately decent they lost to. And by every team, there really isn't anyone. I mean they played Iowa State. They got crushed. They played Northwestern. Um, go Coach Collins. Uh, they lost by two. It's kind of a close game. Good game. Um, 
they played St. Joe's, they got crushed. They played West Virginia, they got crushed. Um, I don't know how they beat NC State. Uh, the game went to overtime. Uh, you know, congrats to Virginia Tech. Um, the, uh, that's a game that NC State will probably look back on when they don't get an NCA bid and say, "How did we blow that one?" Um, uh, but uh, I think Virginia Tech is going to. I, I I'm not sure how they keep up with Duke. I'm not sure how they're going to score enough to keep up with Duke. Um, you know, anything can happen. Look, we played them last year. Uh, they looked, they were supposed to be terrible. We were supposed to be great. And we were this team that was on its way to um, uh, getting away to win a national title. And uh, we struggled tremendously against them. I believe that, didn't that game go to overtime? I think it did. I think it Okafor did. Okafor yeah. had a huge game, right? Okafor like carried us, didn't he? Yep. Uh, so anything can happen in, in ACC basketball play. But uh, I, Virginia Tech winning at Duke, boy, I'd, just just seems like a big long shot to me. I, I I just don't think Virginia Tech is very good. And so they play Virginia on Monday, so they, yes, they yes, they do. Virginia Monday, then they have five days off before they face us. So they're going to be. I mean, they'll probably be just recovering from those two games. You know, both yesterday and and Monday against uh, Virginia, um, which will be uh, probably a bloodbath uh, if we expect uh, the expected. So. Yeah, and that's. I mean, that's what their big rival. Um, you know, Virginia Tech and Virginia. I, I, don't, I don't know if Virginia considers Virginia Tech that much of a rival. I mean, they're both in state, but um, uh, my bet is Virginia's aspiring to better teams <laughs> than Virginia Tech. Uh, but yeah, you would think that they will really get up for that game, and it may be tough to necessarily get up for Duke again at Duke um, uh, uh, over the weekend. I think we're ready for next week. Uh, hopefully, I will be able to watch the games and actually comment on them because. I'm going to catch up and, and become an ACC basketball fan again. So thank you guys for, uh, for taking care of the previews and, and the reviews this week for me. Um, I'm sorry that I, uh, that I wasn't more help. Um, do we want to do a, a quick recap on where we stand on uh, our preseason predictions uh, and or do some player of the week poll uh, action? I, I want us to do both because we need to recap our preseason predictions because I believe that I am – a hundred percent right now. I am correct on every single one of my predictions so far. Well, then why don't you just tell us um, what's going on then? Because you are such a cocky jerk about it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I'm a cocky jerk. I'm just sort of saying what's going on. I'm just telling I, you the I, truth, you know. I, that, that, that's fine. Um, why, why don't you go ahead and uh, lead the discussion then? Because uh, cause so so the <laughs> truth. We 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 were asked who would lead the team in points in scoring. Um, and uh, Jason and Sam both picked Grayson Allen. Donald picked Brandon Ingram. And thus far, the leader is Grayson Allen. Uh, we asked who would lead the team in rebounds. Um, and Jason and Sam both picked Emil Jefferson. And Donald picked Chase Jeter. Now, I don't know if Emil – first of all, I don't know. Are, are we going to have to adjust the Emil Jefferson? Is it total rebounds or is it rebounds per game? Frankly, I think it should be rebounds per game. I so, think it's rebounds per game. Um, and and I, I probably reached a little bit by uh, – picking Jeter in that category. Let, let's assume yeah. that Donald is probably not going to win that category. Yeah. I'm going to, I, yeah. I hope we, I hope I don't. Uh, if I Donald, hope if Donald does win that category, then Duke has a very serious problem. Well, either that or Chase Jeter suddenly turned into the 20 rebound per game guy. Right. Yeah. But that, <laughs> I'm, all right, fine. Continue. <laughs> I think that's not going to happen though. Uh, <laughs> so then uh, in, in assists, um, uh, we went with three different players. Um, Donald went with Luke Kennard. Uh, that's not working out too well for you so far, Donald. Nope. Um, no. No. Uh, and um, 
Sam went with uh, where are my notes. Uh, Sam went with um, Thornton, uh, that, and that could you know assist that could change over the course of the season. Um, I went with Grayson Allen. I almost went with Matt Jones, and I changed my mind at the last minute and went with Grayson Allen. Um, and and at this point, right now, Grayson Allen is leading the team in assists. Um, although it's it's kind of close. I mean, Thornton is sneaking up on him. And Allen's it's not three point exactly six of the team in general. So. Yes, yes, that is correct. Um, in steals, uh, Donald said Brandon Ingram, I said Brandon Ingram, and Sam said Grayson Allen, and the player who is leading Duke in steals is Grayson Allen. No. Wait. I thought I had him all right. I've got it wrong. Uh, Brandon uh, Ingram's leading the team in steals. Oh, man, I had that one wrong. Oh, no, no, I had Ingram. I had Ingram. Never mind. I got this figured out. I knew I was right. I had it as Ingram. I got myself confused with Sam. And Ingram is leading the team in steals. Ingram is leading the team in steals, and that's who I picked. Hey, I got uh, one. And then we got minutes played, um, and I went with Allen, Sam went with Allen, and Donald went with Ingram. um, And uh, and at the moment, it is Grayson Allen uh, in minutes played. Uh, It's kind of close, though, with uh, Matt Jones. Matt Jones is just a little tiny bit behind him. Uh, I think it's a pretty safe bet that uh, that they're they're – Grayson Allen, Matt Jones, and and also I think Brandon Ingram are going to be playing darn close to 40 minutes per game from here on out, um, uh, just because we don't have the depth really to to let those guys get off the floor at all. Um, and we saw that in the games this week. We saw that. I mean, BC that that game was a, a blowout, and Ingram played 40 minutes. Um, Allen played 39. He really only came out when Nick Pagliuca came in, so that Nick could play in front of his daddy, who was there in the stands watching alongside uh, Danny Ainge. Because I'm sure and, that. I'm sure that Nick's father can't make it to any games in Cameron. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, he, he's busy owning the Celtics or whatever it is. He doesn't he own the Celtics? Yeah, I think he owns the Celtics. Yeah. Yes, yeah. There's someone so in he's the Celtics. He's going to NBA games. So yeah. anyway, so this was long, and no one probably paid attention to all this. But the bottom line is, the most important thing is, we made a bunch of preseason predictions. Some of us were right, some of us were wrong, and then there was me, who is a hundred percent right, at least so far. <laughs> All right, but, but um, I have the tiebreaker, so I, I may not win any categories. But so far, I'm my tiebreaker is looking okay. That's true. That's true. Yeah, you have um, Duke winning 35 games as your tiebreaker. 35 yeah. and five. And they've, they've only lost two. And they've only lost two out of the 40 games they're going to play so far. Exactly. There so, you go. That that's a good. Thing. I hope. I hope you win the Donald. I really hope you win the tiebreaker. Exactly. <laughs> um, so we'll we'll do a quick uh, player of the week, and then we'll wrap it up um, for for this episode. Uh, I will start with Donald. Uh, you can pick a football or a basketball player. Uh, give me a player of the week. Uh, I will go with Grayson Allen. Um, he was a monster all week long in all the games, uh, including the. Uh, I, I'd like to thank him for doing a career high thirty three points when I was in the stands to watch him. Uh, and so for that reason, he is my player of the week. All right, Jason Evans. So my player of the week scored 17 points against Elon. He then scored uh, 21 points against Long Beach State. And then against Boston College, he scored 16 points. Um, and uh, while he was doing all that, he was playing the best defense in the team. Um, when I say best defense, you know I'm talking about Matt Jones. Uh, Matt Jones had a, had a great week. He's sort of still quietly um, putting up a lot of points for Duke when we need him to. He's uh, the most complete player we have on the floor because his his defense is vastly better than anyone else's on the teams. Um, and uh, and he's providing leadership uh, at a time when Duke, I think, really, really needs a lot of leadership because we got a, young, a lot of young guys. And he's um, going to be so, so important going forward um, playing these ACC, uh, ACC games, ACC road games. 
um, which a lot of these guys just, you know, they've never experienced anything like this before. Um, so my player of the week is Matt Jones, who had a great week scoring and a great week doing everything else because that's what he does for us. He does everything else. And, and by the way, I, and I feel terrible that we didn't mention Brandon Ingram. Well, hang on. I'm going to pick a player of the week because I have gotten a chance to look at box scores and hear you guys talk about the recaps as well as you did. And I'm going to take Brandon Ingram. Um, Yay! In, Yay. Yeah, I'm at least good for that. In his ACC debut, of course, he scored 25 points. He hit 50% of his shots from the field, including four for nine from three. And he also pulled down nine rebounds, uh, obviously against an, a, a pretty overwhelmed Boston College team. But a nice ACC debut for Brandon Ingram. I, you know, I think we can presume that it's his only ACC debut. He's going to, or you know, first eight game of the ACC season he's ever going to have at Duke, um, given how strong he's come on and and how weak the draft is this year. So, uh, you know, as we warned listeners and 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 Duke fans, as everyone sort of knew last year with guys like Okafor and Jones uh, and Okafor and Winslow, and then perhaps Tyus Jones to a lesser extent. Um, you know, Brandon Ingram is really, really talented, and this is probably the only time we're going to get to see him in a Duke uniform this this season. So um, so watch out for him. He's been getting better. Obviously, the beginning of the season was a little slow for him, but he's really picked it up. And he, I think that going forward, he's going to be a huge part of this Duke team, especially on offense, being able to take down some of these ACC teams. Uh, he's an interesting player. He, he may uh, be one of the most – he's probably the most interesting offensive player in the ACC, given his, his size and his length and his ability to score all over the floor. So um, between him and, and Grayson Allen and Luke Kennard, who's come on very strong – uh, as you guys mentioned, um, the the Duke offense is, has been very strong so far this year and should continue to get better, especially as they um, start to distribute the ball a little better, perhaps. Maybe we'll see if that happens. So I will give player of the week to Brandon Ingram with my runner up to Sean Wilson, who, of course, had an excellent game against Indiana in the, in the bowl game on the football side. Um, so a shout out to him, especially for that one big touchdown that he scored. Um, so scored if that's it, I, so, so, say again. Scored two touchdowns. Two touchdowns, right? But he had the, he had the one big one, um, and he had the kickoff. He had two big ones. Okay, um, <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is what I get for not watching the games. Uh, he had an eighty-five yard run and like a ninety-five yard kickoff return. I'm like, uh, yeah, I'm one of those guys. Um, so, <laughs> sorry, I just didn't want you to short him. I mean, hey, no, it's okay. I, uh, I I deserve this. Um, that's what I get for not being a good Duke fan. Uh, so we'll we'll wrap it. Um, here with uh, parting shots. If you guys have any, Jason, anything, anything you want to say to the people before we before we close for this episode? Yeah, so I will post a link to this um, in the thread on the uh, on the board. Um, so, uh, folks, um, uh, here we are pimping for the DBR um, basketball forum. Um, go to the forums. Yes, that's what we're here for. Go to the forums. Check out the thread about the podcast because you have to see. I mean, you have to see a thirty second sequence from yesterday's Maryland Northwestern basketball game. By the way, real quick opportunity, shout out to Northwestern who, um, uh, despite losing their best player uh, in the preseason, um, Chris Collins has got this team playing uh, great ball and, and they, they definitely have a chance. If, if they go 500 in the Big Ten, they're making the NCAA tournament because um, uh, they posted a really good non-conference record. But they started out in the wrong way and they lost to Maryland in their very first Big Ten game, but that's okay. Um, Maryland's a really tough opponent, but you've got to see 30 seconds from this game that features um, uh, it's 30 seconds. And, and, and I consider each sequence to be when a basket is scored. This is a 30 second sequence that features, I think I counted three steals, either four or five block shots 
um, five different fast breaks, and it all ends with an alley-oop that doesn't go far enough. And so the alley-oop, instead of being caught by the player and dunked, ends up going in the basket. It's an alley-oop that, that – it, it, it's the craziest. You'll never see 30 seconds of hoops like this in your life. <laughs> it's the best 30 seconds from the middle of a game that doesn't determine the outcome of the game in a game where one team is leading by 17 points. Best 30 seconds you'll ever see. It's just, it's insane. It's crazy. It's literally, the guys are, they're sprinting up and down the court, opposite directions, blocking shots, making steals. It's just, it's 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 insane. And there ends up being one basket made and the basket that's made is an alley-oop that comes up short and ends up going in the basket. It's it's crazy. You just got to see it. All right, I like it. We'll we'll check out that that uh, video, Donald. Your parting shot. Uh, the only parting shot I have is to uh, keep it in the ACC and send some good luck vibes out to uh, the Clemson football team. They are in the national title game. Uh, they will be representing the ACC against Alabama uh, on January 11th in Phoenix, I believe, is where the national championship is. Uh, they had a great game against Oklahoma. They really pulled away in the second half um, and really showed that they were the class of the ACC this year in football. Uh, so best of luck to the Tigers, uh, and I hope you guys uh, can roll over the tide. I, Go ACC. You, you uh, stole my parting shot, Donald. I, I was Not, my it. bad. Um, Clemson, they, Clemson has a tough game next week against Alabama. They you uh, think? <laughs> appear to be pretty strong against Mich- a Michigan State team that you know had had some had a couple rough games this year. Obviously that that Michigan game that they that they probably shouldn't have won, and then they lost to Nebraska. But Michigan State is still a, a pretty solid football team, and Alabama just smoked them from start to finish. So uh, th- this Alabama team has has risen from the dead and is going to be a very tough opponent for Clemson. I'm really excited to watch that game. So the the, uh, Alab- the Alabama defensive line, I've never seen anything like what they did to Michigan State. The Alabama they, defensive line, was, that was it ridiculous. Was a, it was I mean, they played when they played LSU earlier this year, everyone was talking about how great Leonard Fournette was and Alabama just sort of casually played defense against them and and Leonard Fournette couldn't do anything. So, um we'll see what Deshaun Watson and the rest of the the Clemson juggernaut offense is able to accomplish against that Alabama defense. Because um, they they look whew, they look really strong right now, um, so that was also going to be my parting shot, uh, and we'll we'll see what happens. I guess tune into that game because uh, it's going to be a good one, and that's uh, the only sort of meaningful college football game that's left uh, for this season before we forget about it for a while and just talk about hoops. So uh, for Donald Wine and Jason Evans, I'm Sam Klein. We're the Duke Basketball Report podcast. You can, as Jason mentioned, uh, read the Duke Basketball Report page, the front page at www.dukebasketballreport.com. Check out the forums at forums.dukebasketballreport.com. We always post a link in there for the podcast and invite you to, to give us comments, questions, concerns. Uh, anything that you want to say about about the podcast, obviously leave us reviews on iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, let us know how we're doing. If there's anything that you wish we were doing that we weren't, um, I presume that, that we could change our style, although we're 40 episodes in now. So uh, I think we have a pretty good rhythm going. And I will uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Uh, Duke Band, take us home.